1: But only in silence, I'm going to start punching dicks. This is Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer fueled sports show. We're not here to take part. We're here to take over. From the TCA studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. If we have to take this El Soy, it's all El Soy, we don't give a bother. Here's your hosts. Whatever this is we're doing. we're drinking beer and talking sports.
0: Rob Christie and Matt Robinson.
1: are off and running again. Episode 913 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. Rob over there, Matt over here. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. Make sure you're following along. Make sure you're subscribed. What are you saying today, man?
0: I'm saying this is not great weather out there now to take it outside. I don't know anybody who's, anybody who's fought outside in weather like this. It's Big ice chunk, you just turn it around, honest, smash. It, well, it, this, this. well, not only that, it's this slippery footing, right? Where it's concrete some places some places yeah. and, then it's, and then it's, you know, I was going to say salt, icy in other spots, you're going down. No, it's not good. Not good for fighting outside. So I'm hoping to keep this all indoors today, Matt.
1: <laughs> Despite uh, what Connor may, uh, yep. may be pushing us towards. Uh, what are you sipping on today?
0: Oh, you're going to get right into it. Look at that guy. Oh
1: yeah. No, we got tons to get to today. There he is.
0: So this is, um, I'm going to let story you. Story of a girl. I'm going to let river you. river
1: and drown the whole world. She looks so sad in photographs, but I absolutely love her when she smiles. Love Nobody me.
0: sees your tears when you're
1: crying in the rain. <laughs> into a pillow.
0: How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, how, can I bite it and cry into it at the same time?
1: <laughs> oh, I think they go hand
0: in hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, that took a hard turn. Um, <laughs> I'm going to let you handle the calendar today. I, I, I'll, uh, that'll be my backup beer for the show, but, okay. um. I'm drinking of something a little new today. I have never heard of Storm Brewing. No, at a London, Ontario. Hmm. So I'm drinking there. It's called Newhart. Bob. Yep. They're they're <laughs> man. You are. It's gonna be a good <laughs> one. Yeah, folks. the guy's guys fired <laughs> up. Um, it's their dry hopped blonde ale, and so I actually already drank one in the green room while we were uh, right. It, it happens. It comes in at about 4.6, and it says, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. It's a little hazy. Like everything wants to be hazy now. Yeah. But in terms of a blonde ale, it says it's sessionable at 4.6. It is truly sessionable. It's super crisp, easy drinking. It's maybe lost a, a pinch of its beerness, if, if that makes any sense to you. But um, yeah, it's nice. It's super easy drinking. Now, my only real drawback to it is I don't normally go in for beers under 5%. Right. Just on principle <laughs> can be the best tasting beer. Now I, no, I love a Guinness, it. but um, it comes only in the 355s. Okay. I do not go in for that. Those are starter beers. Once you move on and you become an adult, you are able to drink the big boy cans. Yum. So good job, Stormstade.
1: But Storm stayed. Yeah. Okay.
0: But come with a bigger can. I don't normally say that when it comes, especially yeah. when it comes Hit to. us dating. with a JLo beer. Nah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 this is what I want in my beer. <laughs> what do you got? I know what you got, but why don't you tell the good listener what you got?
1: This is, uh, as we sit here right now, day 12 of the uh, Need a Beer Holiday Craft Advent Calendar. Um, and we had a good week. Am I right? We had a good week. Yeah. Yeah, and so we'll get to that for a second. I don't want to wait too long because I want to start sipping on this. Uh, this is from Five Paddles Brewing Company. And they had something in the calendar last year that I absolutely adored. And it led me back to their doorstep in the, uh, in the winter to get a bunch of stuff to try. Um, this, however, is not what I expected to see from them in the calendar. This is their Citrus Smoothie. And there's some stuff happening there that, uh, oh, I haven't tried this one yet, but never been much of a smoothie guy, never been much of a citrus guy. So this has got a door cut out for it. If it's going to, uh, hit me in the, uh, in the right place, 5%. Um, but this is now, um, after, I think we went three straight days last week with dark. Yep. It was the mocha stout from Perth, which was fucking fantastic. Uh, we had the dark Czech lager. There was something else on Friday too that was, uh, was on the dark side of things, but, uh, I can't remember all well, the Well, there
0: time was, there was the stout from, uh, Junction City. That's right. Yeah. Earlier. And so I think you're referring to the Schwarzbier.
1: Yes. The Schwarzbier.
0: From, um, Muddy York, I That's believe. That's
1: correct. Yes. Okay. So awesome week in the calendar. And I said in the group chat that I'm in, when, well, that we're doing this with us, pretty, I'm feeling pretty. Pretty sure (laughs) we're on our way to a couple of pale ales and sours and sure enough, man, we're now on back-to-back days of uh, the lighter side of things. Whatever we had on Saturday Uh, was bringing heavy, heavy grapefruit. Yeah, well, Uh, see, that
0: was Ridge Rock. Yes. That was their Silent Trees, which I'm not a huge lover of Ridge Rock. I knew you and Michaela both. I do um,
1: enjoy their stuff, yeah.
0: To me, traditionally, their stuff is fairly pedestrian. Okay. Um, And I wasn't disappointed. Right. With what they you slept mean the, out. It didn't
1: change your mind. It exactly. Um, See, to me, that one, it didn't seem like there was anything wrong with the beer. Like it, it seemed like a fine, but it's just not my thing. That right. wasn't my style at all. But in terms of like, it wasn't something I was going to pour out or anything like that. No, no. Right and
0: I drank it and, and I don't mind it. it. It just, there was nothing spectacular about it, but it was their, their oh. New England style pale ale is what that was. And it came in at five as well. What do you think of that over there?
1: This might be a pour out. Get out of here. This is not... uh, And this is one of the things I wanted to say. (laughs) Because I quite like five paddles.
0: I love five paddles.
1: And I was super disappointed before I even tasted it to see what they had chosen to put in the calendar. Because they make... And I ride this too hard. I hear that from the listener a lot. That it's it should be more darks and browns and stouts or whatever. But it's fucking December. Yeah. So... I get it. It's not going to be a calendar curated just for Matt. I I do get that. Um, but I, because I enjoyed that brewery so much, I was excited to see what they had in it this year. And before I even cracked it, I just knew this wasn't going to be. Your bag. Right. And so it's not a shot at the brewery. It's not what, it's just, this isn't for Matt.
0: Well, it's the second sour, right? We led off with Anita sour. Right. So this is when you look and I haven't had mine yet and I'll, I'll crack mine in a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a tangerine Mm -hmm. smoothie. So it's called the citrusy smoothie, which a smoothie is, is an offshoot for those. And those of you who do know what it is, (laughs) sorry, you got to listen anyways. Um, But a smoothie is an offshoot of a sour, right? But the, they brew it with fruit puree. So it's meant to almost be a little pulpy.
1: Yeah. It is thick.
0: And, and that's what they say. It's, it's closer to a milkshake than it is to a lager. Right. Okay. And, and so that is what a smoothie aims for. Right. So maybe a little creamy, mm-hmm. but a little chunkier, a pulpy almost. And so for those of you who don't love the little pulp in your orange juice.
1: Which I don't. Right. I like a nice fresh orange juice. I don't want pulp in it. Yep. I don't want floaty shit in my beverages. So there you go. It's probably not getting poured out. No. I know I said, but.
0: You this drank that other for... horseshit habanero one I gave you, so I can't it imagine terrible,
1: it. honestly. Okay, look at yeah. that guy. Maybe maybe I want to find one or two more of those when I see my old man here in a couple of weeks. I, I want him to try that. So I okay. can't even remember was it Great Lakes? No, Wellington. Wellington. And right. it was
0: called Raked Over.
1: Right. Uh got a little announcement, man. Been teasing it for a couple of days on the old social media. And uh, we're going to drop this for you a day earlier than we normally drop the second show of the week. This is going to be Wednesday morning because you guys are going to be excited. You're going to want this quicker than the usual Thursday morning drop. So we're going to give that to you. And uh, this is someone who no longer considers themselves, themselves, themselves. Can you do that? Consider
0: themselves.
1: To be a hockey insider. He now says he's a hockey outsider, but a booze mogul. Oh man. Bob McKenzie will be back on the show Wednesday morning. Nice. Yes. Uh, I had reached out to him back in October, cards on the table, uh, because my parents have bought themselves a uh, a nice little cottage property, not far from the McKenzie compound. So just shot him a text and said, hey, any chance you might be willing to do the podcast again? And if so, would you like to do something in person, maybe on a patio at the nearest, uh, to protect his privacy, the nearest brewery instead of naming it. Um, He said, no. So I kind of went, all right. But it was a very polite. No, the man is enjoying a little semi retirement. He said, you know, these are the sorts of things, the radio hits and stuff that you're looking to cut back on. He goes, you know, to go in and do a game and trade deadline and stuff. He goes, it's work, but it's not what it's all the stuff around it that you're looking to shed. But he did say, I promise you hit me back in December when I have something to shill and I'm back to work doing the world juniors and stuff like that. he goes, and I will do it. So I circled back and, uh, and reached out and he goes, yeah, no problem. And, uh, so Bob McKenzie will be back on the podcast on Wednesday. I don't know if you saw late last week, unveiled his new line of beverages, the Bobby Margarita.
0: Oh no, I did
1: not. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a canned, you know, ready to drink margarita, like pre-mixed, pre-made okay, yeah. um, that he has lent his name to. And uh, he and, and Sean McKenzie, who's also been on the show and some other friends and family got together. They did the the ingredients and the tasting and a few different recipes and yeah, we like this, we should add that, whatever. So uh, the canned beverage of the uh, the Bobby margarita is available now in Alberta coming in 2022 to Ontario and, uh, and most other provinces. Um, but I think, I think that was one of the reasons he was willing hit this show again, a captive audience willing to try a different beverage. Willing to drink. Yes.
0: Actually demanding to drink. (laughs) (laughs) That is the kind of audience you like to hit.
1: Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to that. Um, really excited that he was willing to, uh, to make some more. Awesome. Some more time for TCA. So look for that first thing Wednesday morning, TSN's Bob McKenzie. We'll talk about the, uh, the Bobby Margarita. We will talk about, uh, little Leafs. And really more so instead of the oh, Leafs. There'll be,
0: there'll be Pete's talk. Oh, yeah. There'll be lots of love for
1: Peterborough lacrosse. <laughs> I know it, man. I can feel it. That guy's going to do it. Um, you know, we'll we'll hit on, you know, mainly the, the Leafs talk is going to come from, where's he been? He was supposed to be on a lot of Leaf regional games. That was part of his partial retirement, but uh, he, he, he didn't really show up on those in the shortened season last year, but he did show up on the NBC thing. I have a feeling that has something to do with the border restrictions and the fact that he may have ventured off to his Florida home and, uh, and well, that is part of retirement, man. <laughs> and of course we'll talk to him about the, uh, the world juniors as well. So stick around for that on Wednesday. That will be episode. What did I say? 914 on the, uh, Talk and audio podcast. Wanted to hit you with this, man. Were you ever a, were you a Jetsons fan? Was that your, uh, your bag at any point? Never. Okay. I enjoyed it as a kid. I didn't know They had one season in 1962, and it hit a bunch of reruns, but then basically disappeared until 1985 was when they made the second and, you know, future seasons from that. Um, But this past week, do you have any idea where I'm going with this? Zero. Okay. As usual. Yeah. (laughs) George Jetson would have been conceived this past week if we follow the uh, the story's timeline uh when the show debuted in 1962 it was set 100 years in the future so 2062 there are numerous references in the show as it's running that George Jetson is 40 years old and there's actually one line and it's on wikipedia in a couple places that he is born in august of uh obviously then it would have to be 2022 right yep which would mean he was conceived this month in uh in history uh, last month technically i guess it was supposed to be right around thanksgiving of uh american thanksgiving of 2021 george Jetson. i'm surprised he didn't indeed it was funny man it gave, to me that was kind of with the flintstones where yeah your kids could watch it but it was also yep. had some adult stuff to it right Were you a flintstones no, guy
0: i was a hardcore flintstone guy okay big time big time i, mean, I think i think wilma's where i got my thing for redheads and for redheads yeah I can, <laughs> I, can only, I can only imagine but um Yeah, it's funny, formative years, but no, never a Jetson guy and, um, a relaunch in 85, man, I lived out in BF nowhere. Right. And so we got three channels, all this, you know, so yeah, nothing. My, my rabbit ears only got us so much, you know.
1: So I didn't end up seeing a bunch of it until at some point not long after this, my grandmother got a satellite dish and it had Nickelodeon or something Right, like that, right?
0: Cartoon Network right. or something.
1: Um, but I had seen, we had on VHS, there was a Jetsons movie where they moved to some new state-of-the-art facility and, and whatever. But uh, working for Spacely Sprockets, I remember that. Mr. Spacely was the asshole boss. Uh, very relatable, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But um, that was really more than the show. That movie I probably watched 300 times as a kid. Uh, and, and going from there, and it does seem, man, like we're behind schedule on what the future's supposed to look like. Right, right? like the way Sorry, the Sorry, Jetsons. Yeah, the we'll Jetsons will work
0: harder. <laughs>
1: right, the the robot maid and the flying car and yeah. all these sorts of things that would fold right up. Remember, it looked like one of those bowling shoe. Yeah, when you got to work, you would tuck it in this little like it fold right up, and you'd tuck it in a little uh, cubby. Yeah. At, at Spacely Sprockets. No. Okay. This yeah, is going nowhere if you're not a Jetson's guy.
0: Yeah. At all. Like no. at all. And so I, I said, yeah. Yeah. But no. No. I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> all right. At all.
1: Well, congratulations to George Jetson's parents for uh, humping last week is basically, yeah. basically well, what
0: this Well, And the- clearly that's a, uh, you know, there, there wasn't that big of a turkey, turkey no. lag there, right? <laughs> somebody, somebody was feeling amorous and uh, fast and loose.
1: As we sit here right now, it's a couple hours before the Grey Cup. I should mention, I will circle back because I love you, good listener. Oh, well, at the very end of the show, I will circle back. Rob will be long gone. Maybe asleep. Not sure. The end of the Grey Cup, I'll come back, give a couple thoughts on the game rather than uh, just put out a, a podcast the Monday after Grey Cup Sunday. You got to have some sort of thoughts on, on the game. So at the end of uh, at the end of this podcast... Um, I, I will give some, some post game thoughts, Matt, but as, w-
0: Matt, we'll circle back and talk about a 21 point Winnipeg Jet, Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg Jets, Winnipeg
1: Blue Bombers win. Winnipeg Jetsons. Uh, it's clear. Yeah. So as we sit here now, though, a few hours before Grey Cup, there's always a ton of news around the league during Grey Cup week. The commissioner comes out and he says some shit. Some people, TSN's guys seem to be kind of taking it seriously and giving them the benefit of the doubt.
0: Well, they have to. That's Sportsnet's part of their-
1: guys are ripping it a rash, but Danny is just relentless on Twitter during the press conference. I'm sure had the rights been switched, you would have seen the opposite. Yes. Um, but one of the things that has been floated around is they're going to reevaluate everything this offseason, including three downs versus four downs. And uh, the article that I sent over to you, although I'm sure you'd already heard about this discussion, took its own kind of stand on whether this was worthwhile or not. But just the fact that we're going to have this discussion and consider moving the CFL to four downs so that it more closely resembles football in other parts of the world is interesting considering the fact that it's one of the CFL's most distinguished – it's the most distinguishing – factor is the three downs and maybe the bigger field. Um, do you have any appetite to see the game? Can you see a reason to move to four downs in the CFL?
0: Well, first of all, three down nation, the website you're talking yeah.
1: about has to change. Its name. They're going to have to rebrand. So it's going to be I, a pain in the so ass. So I'm not
0: loving that right away. They're like, Shh, we can't have this. Don't do this. You are busting up my brand. It's true. Um, Uh, yeah, you know what? I've, I've read some things. I looked at the, um, I read the three down nation article or opinion piece really is, is more what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, the CFL game, the three down game is the distinctively Canadian game. Right. That game is really only working in four markets. Really? Ish, mm-hmm. give or take Hamilton, who's
1: hosting right now. Hamilton's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're, they're not. I didn't include them. It sounded them. like
1: you were bubbling them. I, I, mean.
0: I was sort of them in Ottawa, sort of bubbling both those teams in terms of Eastern teams. Right. Um.
1: So you're thinking Alberta, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking the, the Prairie provinces, right. and, and so to me, it, it comes down to. What is what is the big deal? That we've talked in the past about really this this is about to go soft belly up. Well, you've talked in the past. No, we've talked no. about it. I may have floated that idea.
1: Yeah, I'm not so I I am just not willing to co-sign that statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No problems, Matt.
0: Yeah. I I will, I have no problem standing out here.
1: Oh, on. I know, but I'm pulling myself off that ship
0: before. Yeah. And, and the reality is if it comes down to like and I get what, what they're saying on on Three Down Nation that it, you, you will not be the NFL if you go four down ball. And I agree with that 100%. But does that make us the AHL of, of football? Because it's not like once you're done college, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Right? So the sport will still survive if Canadians choose to to take that, does that hasten a move to the XFL? Perhaps, right? He talked about the unique, the uniqueness of the Canadian game and doubling down on that with a merger to the XFL potentially, right? That more unique stuff gets added and you just become more niche, but super separate from the NFL. And I get it. No one's going to beat the NFL at being football, but you are already a, a stepping stone for a lot of, a lot of players. So I, I, I don't think it's the end of the world if they go to four-down football.
1: I just don't... There's nothing that I've seen that leads me to believe the CFL's problem is three downs. That if you switched to four, you would suddenly start attracting more fans. Toronto would suddenly engage more uh, to me,
0: no, I, I yeah, I, I don't think you're ever going to get Toronto because Toronto's going to have an NFL franchise one day, maybe. That's where Toronto wants to be. So you're never. I don't. It doesn't matter if you stay three down or go to four down. No, you're not getting Toronto. Okay.
1: The 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 move thing is a whole other. We can talk about that, and I think we meant to a few weeks ago and, and didn't get to it. But I, I just to me, there's something to be said for being a little different, for hanging your hat on something, for. If you move to four downs, how long before you're moving to the smaller field? And at that point, like we've seen. I think think it's if they don't go hand in hand, one quickly follows the other. The AHL comparison to me doesn't really work because we've seen an XFL before. We've seen the AAF before. We've seen the USFL before. Nobody cares. The NFL is king shit right? Yep. And it's it's their TV production, it's their glitz and glamour, it's the superstars, all these things. Nobody, especially the CFL, nobody is touching that. Nope. And so what is the goal when you switch from three to four downs? Why take away that part of the... Cana- Look, I don't hate it. I'm not like never, never wouldn't consider it. Right. I'm just... I don't think this is anywhere close to the top of the list of problems that the CFL is facing right now. And so it seems like change for the sake of change to me. Okay, well, does it? Yes. what uh, so, I said it.
0: I know, but you, so you really think that they're only changing <laughs> from three to four downs because that's what people recognize more. Why else?
1: Like, what's no, the point? Okay,
0: but that is, that is the question. To me, you start to make that move to four downs. You start to make the move to a more you know, harmonized game in but North But you've said America. it yourself.
1: This is already a stepping stone for some guys. Is the three downs hurting them? Are they not getting to the NFL? Are no, they, but
0: you wonder how many guys come up here and they just don't initially catch the game. Like you see quarterbacks and skilled players come up here all the time. Well, not good like, enough. And they're like, yeah. But they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. Guys who were college studs who just don't. Johnny
1: Manziel came up here. who he was going to be whatever. And no, couldn't do it. And it yeah. turned out when he went to... Was it the AF or the XFL? AAF, I guess. Uh, he got picked up on an NFL practice, right? He was—he just wasn't good enough. It had nothing to do with downs. And yeah, what, but
0: there was Johnny football. There was problems with him dating way back to sure college. But, days. but we've seen
1: just because American college stars come up here and don't succeed doesn't mean there's something wrong with yeah, our game.
0: I, I think no, I, I understand that, but there's clearly something wrong with our game. It's Why? Not make, it, it's not making money right now.
1: I, are you convinced four downs hasn't making money?
0: I think you're looking at if you can become more of a feeder system for the NFL, more of a feeder system than you already are. I think, I think you're starting to look at some kind of shared identity and sort of perhaps resources. I I think that is, that is the way if, and we're talking about the four down change. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think the CFL is, is it's on its deathbed.
1: Yeah. And, and we disagree on that and what, but we all, what that means is we're also going to disagree on the road forward, right? It is for sure. You, it sounds like you're looking for a lifeline Four downs, maybe gets the NFL more involved or unifies the path or, or whatever it might be. To me, we already have that. Guys come in and come through and some leave and some stay and, and whatever. That's going to remain the case if you're going to be essentially admitting you're a minor league system. Right now, if anybody's we already know not, it's a minor league Right, I was so, going to say,
0: if anybody's not admitting okay. that right now.
1: But you don't have to. Like, it's a distinct thing. It's It's got its own feel to it. And I just don't see a really compelling reason to give that up other than to service the NFL. I don't think it does shit to service the CFL. So CFO. are you
0: suggesting the hardcore CFL fans right now are really only hardcore three-down no. fans?
1: No. But I do think you would lose some if you moved.
0: Right. And I think I think when you look at what is the financial gains from it, if any, I don't know. Right? We're both just sitting here spitballing, right? It's kind of what we do. Yeah, but if there is financial gains which to me is the way it goes exposure either in the states through through a partnership with the NFL whatever that looks like i think that is the 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 future path i think if they stay the course right now as they are man it's 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 not the future is not bright
1: Uh, I just, I think sports betting is going to help them quite a bit. There will be money funneled into the league that way. Right. I I don't know what this new genius sports enterprise thing is that they announced on Friday. That's going to be a part of it. I don't know what that's going to mean. Um, I just, to me, the move to four downs is a move, but I, I don't think it attracts fans.
0: You're saying it, you're saying it has a bit of a desperate feel to it. Yeah. So I, I get that. And I, and I don't disagree with you. I think you
1: just think they need to be more desperate than I think they need.
0: I, I think they're in a I, I was I think they're in a desperate situation right where they they wouldn't be talking about this, they wouldn't be even be talking about reviewing it if shit didn't need to change and change fast. they wouldn't be floating that that would not be out there if they didn't feel like the situation was dire as it is.
1: One of the things that came out of uh, Randy Ambrosi's press conference on Friday, uh, and I forgot to put this on the list, so I'm springing this on you a little bit, but nice. they announced. We're going to get into revenue sharing and that there are, um, marks that you have to hit to get that money, which the NHL should take a page from. Uh, but I wonder what you think. And I, we've touched on this a little bit before, but as you rightly pointed out a few minutes ago, the health and the the vibrancy of the league is out West. Yep. And a couple of those teams are community owned, namely Edmonton and Saskatchewan. And they are now going to be cutting revenue-sharing checks to the Toronto Argonauts owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And those are based on – they don't consider. The revenue-sharing doesn't take into consideration who owns the team. It just takes into consideration the weaker sisters based on um, who's bringing in money and this and that. But if I'm an Edmonton fan, if I'm a Saskatchewan fan, fuck you that I'm cutting public money checks and I mean, I get it. You yeah. own the team. It's not, it is public money, but once it's given to the team, into the league, you've already sort of f- signed that away. But I'm writing a check to a billion dollar organization like MLSC so they can help run the Argonauts. It's got a funky fucking look to it, man.
0: Yeah. I, and I don't like it at all. Right. If I'm Saskatchewan and I'll, I'll use that yeah. as, that's a that's a f- a franchise that a gets organization by the entire province. Yeah. And you go, hey... We are fucking small potatoes mm-hmm. and we're doing it right. We're supporting it from the ground level up. And yet I got to now because you have 6 million people to draw from and you can't get 15,000 in right. the stadium. Right. I got to I have to support you. Right. Forget about it. Says Gary and Estevan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is it. Is it just because of the the business model, or is it because it's owned by a public trust? Well, it's both. It's both. You, you have this because as an MLSE fan, we're cutting checks up the highway here to keep your poverty franchise alive yep. in the NHL. Love it. Yeah, love it. So there is a bit of
0: yeah, but you are the billion dollar franchise yes. in the biggest city in the in the country in the in the media. Yeah, mecca of okay. the country, and yet you now are asking Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. who is the boil
1: on the, the on the country's ass? But in this league, they're the big dog.
0: Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> and what I'm what I'm saying is, when we talk about percentages of of the province that support that versus mm-hmm. the percentage of the province that supports this, the Argos, it's it's crazy how. Disproportionate it is. Yeah. And saying, you guys can't get your shit together enough to find 25,000 people nine times a year to show up. Right. Yeah. I don't want to pay you fucking dime one.
1: Okay. See, I agree with that completely. But I also we're, agree with that in the NHL that if you can't find twenty thousand people here yeah, yeah. to fill your fucking building, I don't want to give you dime true, one. For true, you to and if
0: you want to look at wave it, it, and when,
1: eight million dollars into the minors in one week,
0: yeah, and you, well, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's stay on topic here because Rob could fucking lose his mind.
0: Um, but yeah, you are at that point. You were at least are saying whether it's right or wrong, right? You are looking at it saying, hey man, we are in a $1 million market. And, I mean a 1 million person market mm-hmm. versus it's, it's the, do we deserve a team? That, that is absolutely a conversation right. for down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are talking about the inequity of the, of the two situations. It's, can you imagine if Ottawa was selling out every game Doing I actually block can't. No, I I can't either. <laughs> but and then saying the the sad sack leafs who are aren't doing well, whatever's happening, you're like, yeah, we gotta now support those guys. That just doesn't make any sense.
1: But I, I guess my point would be financially these yep. are comparable.
0: Yeah, no, I understand what you're talking about in terms of of the of the two franchises being
1: Saskatchewan is the powerhouse. The Saskatchewan is the Leafs of the CFL.
0: Right. And all we're talking about is The Argos, theoretically, should be the Leafs
1: of the CFL. Yep. Especially when you think of all the the Americans you're trying to bring up, you would think most of them would be most... Like, I've heard of Toronto. I've never heard of fucking Winnipeg, right? Like, even there that you should have an advantage. Toronto's the capital of the country, isn't it? Yeah. Might as well be, right? So, center of the universe, if not the capital of the country... I just, you would think there would be all these advantages, and we've had the conversation before, can the league survive without a Toronto team and these sorts of things. I, I agree with you. It's bullshit that Saskatchewan is giving money to right. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. But when we then project that out into other I, conversations, you go, eh. I know.
0: And where I was going with this, though, was it's the equivalent, if you want to use Ottawa as the Saskatchewan of the NHL, and you went, which we are not doing right now, but if we, if, if it was a overflowing franchise and, and for this to happen, because there isn't a big corporate community here, there isn't, there isn't the support from that venue. So you have as a local grassroots level, supporting the franchise, filling the building, buying merch, doing all this stuff. And you go, yeah, we're doing it right at a small level. And you fuckers over there can't do anything with, with the huge infrastructure and the huge population, that would, that would not make sense. Whereas you go, you guys have every opportunity, corporate, corporate, you know, mm-hmm. large corporations in the GTA, media, mm-hmm. f- population, all this stuff. And you go, ah, we can't make it work. Can Hey, you little kid over there, you working, the, working that lemonade stand like a mofo. Right. What do you got? Can you send me a couple of those nickels over here?
1: Yeah. It, it, to me, it's, it's just way less complicated than that. It's the highest earners funneled to the lowest earners. And you're going to have to take the names off the yeah. whatever or don't do it.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and okay. And I get that. I get that.
1: Um, I do think it's embarrassing as fuck that the Toronto franchise owned by MLSE is going to be propped up by Winnipeg, Saskatchewan and Edmonton. Right.
0: We, and we've talked about it. And if you want to continue down this, this NHL comparison, right we've looked at, at at the difference of of this market here and how it has Ottawa, yeah. yes how it has accepted and and the franchise has thrived but the many reasons that it's hit the skids in the last decade mm-hmm. right the the, num- the the reasons are numerous right and and the purpose isn't to get into it here but this is a hockey market and has shown itself to support a viable franchise competently run.
1: So if we swing it back.
0: Which exactly what we're going to do, which is, there is not a great history in the last Uh, 30 30 years of of a competently. That's
1: right. No, that's right. Yeah, and, even at and, times, and, and a, a, a fan at times the accepted. organization has been run okay, but it has not been supported. People in <laughs> Toronto genuinely or generally do not care about the Argos. And so would the league have been better off holding out, like not going to revenue sharing and trying it without Toronto? We've brought this up before and just said, this, what are we doing?
0: Like what just, are we doing? Just fold it. Yeah. And, and again, that is the question that it comes down to is what happens when you, you can't find ownership in Montreal, BC's a floundering yeah. hotbed for Seattle Seahawks fans. <laughs> and you go, what are you doing in a league then that says, that has its three biggest markets say, yeah, we don't really care about that. Mm. We are b- too too big time for that. And, and, and to me, it feels like that when you have said, to double back to the beginning, yeah. three down, four down, whatever it is, you are not the NFL, and that's what really clearly we're interested in. Whereas you look at... at but
1: they're not. They're interested in the NFL. They're not interested in four downs. We've tried this in Toronto a hundred times. Yeah. Is Toronto a hockey town or is Toronto a leaf town? What we've seen over and over and over with junior franchises, minor league franchise, they're a leaf town. They don't go to shit that they deem to be below them. So the Toronto thing... Not above me. Is... is is four? It's not four downs. It's the NFL or bust in Toronto. Yeah, and so so making that switch to me doesn't fix the problem at all. Yeah, I think as long as you get to hang your hat on the three down thing, you say we are the best league in the world at this game. Yeah,
0: I'm going to hang my hat on the Rouge.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay.
0: And and, and really, Matt, if you want to talk about a, yeah, that's the fight they have, and that's that's we'll see how that shakes out, mm-hmm. right? But in terms of they wouldn't be floating this if they didn't feel like they were in uh, in a tough situation. Agree there. So, I know I know fighting is clear and present on your mind. Sure is, man. Big 2FC, you a 2FC. 2FC, yeah. See, this is why I don't get to sit on that side of the <laughs> table, right? Because I'm going to segue. It's one lead. attempted segue and he blew it. <laughs> you blew it. Yeah, and and it happens, right? But UFC 269 last night, Matt. I know we've been knocking that back and forth, and yeah. and super interested, especially in the two cool main events, mm-hmm. right? You had the um, the Poirier, uh, Oliveira. Oliveira fight, mm-hmm. and you had the um, I won't even go with first names, Joanne, <laughs> Juliana, Ju- <laughs> Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, love that Pena versus. Amanda shovel
1: face Nunez. (laughs) 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 Looks like it after last night. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Got any thoughts, Matt? What do you think of that? Awesome card. Um, Even before the two main events ended up going down, um, you know, super interesting. Um, Sean O'Malley in the... uh, Sugar. Sugar Sean uh, in the the opener. Um, We talked about it in the preview show there last week that, you know, that's a guy who always brings fireworks. And there were multiple guys in multiple weight classes on the prelims ranked ahead of him with better pedigree than him, but he's going to be a star. And they wanted to put him on pay-per-view, right? To see if if he could draw a couple of extra buys out of that. I think he probably did. But those two main events, and specifically that women's bantamweight title where Amanda Nunez loses to Juliana Pena... That was, um, Nunez was a minus 900 betting favorite. The the betting odds were crazy. Yeah, plus 650 for Juliana Pena. And that actually turned out to be, uh, I was reading Ariel Helwani there this morning, the third biggest upset as far as betting lines go in UFC history. Would you like to take a stab at the other two that are in the mix there, ahead of it? Matt Sarah over GSP. That is number two.
0: Okay, number one.
1: Mm. I'm, You've got this. I'm, it's on the women's side as well. Oh, is it, uh, is it Holmes over Rousey? It is Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey. Um, back in Australia, it's got to be six, seven years ago at this point. Shock the world! That was a um, Holly Holm was a minus nine or a plus nine twenty five coming into that. Matt Sarah was a plus eight fifty. And like I said, there, Juliana Peña, a plus 650. People were honestly willing to bet their mortgages on Amanda Nunez. And I hope you didn't. You're going to be having a cold Christmas here uh, if you did. Yeah. <laughs> on Amanda Nunez finishing that fight. She has been dominant for over five years. She's held her title. And in the first round, you could already see that Peña was willing to kind of stand in there with her and and just... She, they traded some shots, and Peña all along had said, no one's ever gotten her back. No one's ever made her work. If you can just get in there. And they sort of traded some shots in the first round, but in the second, Peña lands a couple of shots, and she kind of sees, this is my opportunity. And she gets in there close, and Nunez is now mauling her. Like, Peña is taking heavy damage standing in there, but she also knows that Nunez is kind of doing this because she's stunned, right? She's lashing out too, this is as good a chance as I'm going to get. And so she stands there and she takes these shots and she keeps landing a couple of jabs and no one is throwing nice crisp blows. It's wild arm swinging, like... Yeah, just,
0: like stuff you've seen in the school hallway at, at yes, lunchtime.
1: Exactly. And so she kind of gets Nunez down and she takes her back and she locks in this choke. And it's funny you mentioned the school way or the school hallway, because this looked like a schoolyard choke. Like she didn't even fully have the hooks in yet when Nunez tapped. And so you could tell, like Nunez was already rattled, right? To, and just, holy fuck, what's happening? And and kind of tapped before she got put out. And it almost looked like, and no one likes to use this word, but it looks like she quit. And um, for a woman who has been as dominant as she has for as long as she has, no one would have suspected, first, the loss, but second, that she would tap that fast before the hooks were even in on that choke. And so this was as prohibitive a fight as I had ever seen or could remember seeing and to see the underdog win it was unbelievable, man, I I could not believe it. The crowd was stunned. Pena herself before she starts celebrating and whatever on the cage, she's sort of standing there leaning against the cage with this like blank look, like, did that just fucking happen? Right. Well, she
0: said in the post fight, she thought that it was when somebody in the commission said you just won. Yeah. She thought it was the end of the round. Yeah.
1: Like, just couldn't believe how this played out. It was unbelievable to watch, man. And and Nunez in the post fight presser was extremely gracious. Like that that, and it's funny with her accent. Said uh, she kept calling her a warrior, but it, it's she's a horror. She's a whore. That's what it sounds like warrior. over and over. Um, but very gracious. But there's been some talk, and you and I are probably the wrong two to speak on this. That she got off her bus coming into the uh, the arena carrying her baby. And are you fully in the right? you know, state of mind at that point, right? Like mothers can fight. We've seen that now multiple times, but do you want to bring them to the arena with you? Like, are you, maybe that's a debate for a different day. Is your, is your focus. Right. Um, but just, it it kind of looked like, you know, in that second round, as she's getting stung over and over, she can't believe that this is happening. She doesn't really know what to do. And then, yeah, once she got that choke on her from behind, it did not take long at all for Nunez to just go, okay, I guess that this is it, right? And, and tapped out. I, I was shocked, man.
0: Well, I, I, love the, I love the channeling like a young Diaz in, in the post-fight. I'm not surprised, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only you're surprised.
1: Well, Pena said that over and over and did say afterwards, she said in her post-fight presser there, I told you, I told you so. Because she has been saying since UFC 200, which is like four years ago now, no one had that, that Nunez has been ducking her and that no one's been willing to to get in there and do what she did, which, like I said, was stand and take heavy damage to get close enough to to land her own damage, right? To get a couple of jabs in there and then get to that choke. Um Man, it was incredible to see, but she kept saying beforehand, if you can get her back, you can take her. You can, but good luck to you getting there, right? And she just, man, <laughs> was willing to go through that shit to to get there. So
0: my question then really is, is, is this a situation where this is this is the beginning of the end for Nunez? Or is this a champion who hasn't lost at two different weight classes yeah. for years, just on off night, getting getting a little content, and then now you have this person who was two and two mm-hmm. in the four fights leading up to this. Yep. Where this renews the energy and you see that GSP Sarah rematch where it was like Lesnar and Mir in the rematch, where it was, it was mauling, ugly, both were just a dismantling of a, of a lesser opponent by a legend.
1: Right. That's going to be the, it's entirely up to Nunez, right? How much does she still want? Is she ready to just go enjoy a family life and, and, or does she still really want this? And If she wants it, there's no doubt in my mind, after being the champ for five years, they'll run it back, right? Right away, she'll get the first. getting offered the automatic rematch. Right. So it'll be up to Nunez as to whether or not she wants it. But those two fights we referenced earlier that were the two bigger betting odds discrepancies, it was the beginning of the end for Ronda Rousey, right? Like, she was never the same after that, and within a year, she was out of the UFC, Whereas GSP, it clearly was just an off night. He got caught, which yep. can happen, right? And we've seen it time and time again, maybe not to this level of of discrepancy, but you can get caught. Like that's okay. one of the things. It's You're yeah, right. So you land a good shot and all of a sudden things change in a hurry. It was just an off night for GSP. He came back, dismantled <laughs> Matt Serra and went to continue on his dominant career. So it's entirely up to Nunez at this point. Um
0: well, because across many sports, it doesn't matter what the sport is. We're talking about fighting right now. But if, when you have a champion who has this aura of invincibility, mm-hmm. they feel it. Yeah. And the opponent feels it. But when that bubble gets burst. Right. Right. I no longer as a champion feel, and clearly I'm the champion <laughs> in this situation. I no longer feel invincible and you no longer see me as invincible.
1: Right. I now know I can beat you. Yeah, I,
0: yeah. I, that's what I got to do. And I've laid down a blueprint. Right. Now, does that blueprint work moving forward or does Nunez champion up and, and, and work a little harder? Like right. she has to get to where she is as an all-time great. Right. Or is this like, fuck it, I've done enough. I'm, I'm, I've Made
1: I'm done. millions and millions of dollars. I've headlined, I've dominated.
0: Or, or is the only thing, you know, I want to, I want to defend my legacy. Right. By, by, by s- scrubbing away this blemish. To me, that's, that's the fascinating part about sports. Yeah. And combat sports really is at the pinnacle of that.
1: Well, and the one interesting thing that, you know, as you referenced they're holding two titles, the one she still has is the 125 title. That's the harder one for her to get to. She's a bigger body. She's a bigger frame. That's the one that's all that work to get down um, to that weight to then defend that title. I have a feeling if she would have beaten Pena, you might have seen her give up the 125 title. And just, I'm not going to continue to and carry on her 135 reign. Uh, now you've lost 135. Do, are you willing to give up the 125? Probably not, right? Now you maybe do have to. So it'll be interesting to see. It's entirely in her hands. Well,
0: I don't go from holding two championship bells to none. Right. So, yeah, no, for sure. If I got to work my ass off to get down to 125, right. I do it and then come back and muscle up and, and, and pound out Pena.
1: That'll be, to me, She'll be unquestionably. Nunez will be the favorite again if they do rematch this. She yep. will be the heavy favorite. Maybe not as heavy as last time, but she will be the favorite.
0: Okay, but and, and what about the, the Oliveira Poirier fight?
1: That was maybe as fast a first round as I have seen. The pace was unbelievable. The way they were trading blows, going back and forth. I think most people understood that if it went to the ground, it was going to be heavy advantage Olivera. Yeah. Uh, but Poirier was willing to, again, get in there and trade blows. It was very exciting. Um, in the second round, Oliveira does get him to the ground. And Poirier's doing okay holding guard. He's doing his best. But he's, again, taking now heavy damage on the ground. Yeah. And in that kind of break between the second and third, you could sort of see... He's not out of it, but he's rattled a bit, right? He's lost his game plan a bit. He's, you can they they always go in close, right, for the conversation with the coaches, and he just something seems a little off. And uh, when Oliveira gets him the second time with kind of the standing rear naked choke, how often is yeah, he that, man. <laughs> man? Oh man! And just took him out, right, and and finished him that way. And it shouldn't have been a surprise, but but I mean, Poirier was the favorite, but Oliveira um, does a slight a
0: slight favorite, yeah.
1: No, oh, no, it wasn't prohibitive. Anything like the uh, the other title fight, but Oliveira does lead and has now padded that lead. The UFC in finishes and submission finishes, like in any weight class, in any division, um, he's the all time leader with finish. So it shouldn't have been shocking that he was willing, or uh, not willing, but able to yeah. do that to Poirier. And I want to ask you because I did bring this up uh, on the preview show, and it's it was just a theory. But maybe it has some more juice now, or maybe it's just the way the fight went. I wonder, we've talked before about Conor McGregor, right? And how he is sort of, he's drifted away from the sport a bit. It's hard to get up at 5 a.m. to run when you're sleeping in silk sheets, right? That sort of thing. He's got his other businesses now. And so Poirier, his previous two fights are against McGregor. Great paydays, right? And he finishes them both times. I wonder, did we read too much into Poirier beating maybe a soft McGregor and thus those wins aren't worth quite as much as we thought they were? Or, you know, did he maybe just get beat by Oliver? Like, do you think we can read anything coming out of the McGregor fights based uh, on where he was at now?
0: Not the first one. The first one to me is is the, is the legit because we are dealing with, at that point, you are still, Poirier's trying to avenge the previous defeat. Right. And and pretty soundly beat Connor. Yep. So to me, and, and pretty soundly beat him the second time. Yep.
1: So, so you t- beat a big name. Yeah. But we don't know what that name's worth anymore.
0: Right. But to me, if you look at at that first round, and it was pretty wild. Yes, I, it I was. think I think if you look at at anything that was surprising, was that Oliveira was willing to to stand and yeah. trade. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what when you listen to Poirier talk about what his game plan was. Which was to be the crisper striker, right? To stay at a range, to keep it off the ground, mm-hmm. right? To drag Oliveira out into championship rounds and try and finish him on his feet. And if you look at the first round, I think he was surprised by that. Yes, and and as you see, the fighter who can get the other fighter out of their game plan. Yep. And I think when when Poirier and he says as much, he's like, I thought, and I and I tagged him pretty good. Yeah. I could finish him there. Right. And, and it was just a little bit more, but then he either gases himself, he gets taken to the ground and how hard it is to defend off the ground. Yep. Like I am a big submission guy. Mm-hmm. I've loved, as long as I've watched the UFC, I've been a submission guy because anybody can can clip Land somebody. Job, yeah. Right? But to get down and to be a couple of moves ahead of you while tired on the ground and submit somebody, that is an art form. And so I think... Yeah, Poirier made the mistake of thinking he could finish him, maybe getting a little ahead of his own game plan, getting gassed, getting, getting beat up on the ground, mm-hmm. and, and, and having that sort of, oh, I fucked up, that moment, right? So, no, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in a rematch.
1: Not sure how, when we're going to get that, right? I, to me, Poirier here probably loses an opportunity. He would have been right there with Usman for possible fighter of the year had he, you know, you beat Connor twice and then win the title, it's a good year, right? That's a good year. Now you've lost, you haven't gotten over the hump, you haven't grabbed that title. Like, I think he gets set back a little bit here. I believe Dana confirmed that the next one will be Oliveira versus Gaethje, which will be fascinating as well. That
0: would be an awesome fight. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, And Dustin's probably going to have to go back and win another fight or two to to get another chance at that. But um, yeah, to me really enjoyable card and it just goes to show you, man, because beyond those two fights, I thought the card looked a little weak just in terms of big names and, and yep. you know, uh but it turned out to be extremely entertaining and, and sometimes even if it's not, if the main events pay off the way these two did, you feel like it was worthwhile. Anyway, I should say, didn't buy this one. Our buddy Bunda hooked me up with a sweet link that <laughs> <Okay. laughs> was able to, to, to check it out that way, but it felt like. Time well spent, right? And and like, it did turn out to be a much better card than I, cause they're, the last two, 67 and 68 were loaded cards. This one seemed a little thinner. Didn't turn out to be that way. You, Super entertaining. Do
0: you have any time for Connor McGregor post-fight saying Poirier embarrassed himself? Yeah,
1: no, cause he keeps beating your ass. Yeah, <laughs> so honestly, if, if, I, if
0: I have beat your ass two of the last two times, yeah. I don't need to hear you flap your gums. You're irrelevant. Yeah. Shut the hell up
1: we're going to talk about the, uh, the Olympics here in hockey in a second. It reminds me of Christian Erhoff at the 2010 Olympics. Canada has just pounded Germany. I think it was eight, two or eight, three. And he, the Germans have already played Russia and goes, well, Canada's going to get crushed by Russia. And you're like, Hey, you've got tire tread all over your back. Why don't you shut the fuck up? <laughs> like yeah. you just got crushed. How about you shut up for a while? Yeah. N- now is the, see, you may
0: have missed this, but now's the time for you to be a little more humble. Right.
1: Speaking of the uh, Olympics and and what that's going to look like as far as hockey goes, there's a bunch of things we can touch on here, including whether or not it looks like they're even going to go. Why don't we stay in the fantasy land first? Because it's far more fun to talk about what these teams might look like, where this all might shake out before getting into, oh, by the way, they're probably not going to make it. Um, You sent along uh, a topic which I found fascinating that that the press was, uh, the hard press was on from the media to get Morgan Riley onto the Canadian Olympic team. And now I'm going to hand this to you, but I will tell you why it was interesting to me is I have felt for the last week or so like the, the hard press was on here for Thomas Shabbat. And you pointed out that The Athletic recently did an in-depth piece on, on Morgan Riley, and that there had been a, a hit on TSN about it. Uh, our buddy Ian Mendez just this week wrote a piece in The Athletic about why Thomas Shabbat should be considered for the uh, Canadian Olympic team and the local broadcast here has been talking about it quite a bit to the point on Saturday afternoon, Gord Miller was even speculating that DJ Smith was... Cutting back ice time? Intentionally playing Shabbat less to show Team Canada head coach, also coach of the Lightning, um, John Cooper, hey look, he's, he's still effective. He can play at less minutes if he has to. So... To me, this is interesting, just in a blue goggles, red goggles, a perspective kind of thing. You, you see it as they're pushing hard for Riley. I'm sitting here going, man, uh, suddenly we're very pushing hard for Shabbat. Um, what do we think here, man? Uh, you were the one who brought this topic up. Yeah, Where do you no, want to take I, it?
0: I find it really fascinating yeah. that uh, when you look at that left side of the defense, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I find it because I was listening to Jason Greger out of uh, Edmonton. Right and he was talking about nurse. Yeah. Well and just how he really doesn't see Riley or Shabbat. right as on the on the radar. Well, I've actually
1: said that for a while too. Of course, I didn't well and we both of them it. would make it, but
0: Cause it comes down to defending for yeah. me yeah. in terms of both those guys, they're both great defense defensemen. Yes. Right now, but are they going to be able to to shut it down? Right. And so, but I find it interesting that, after one season, we've now looked at uh, at darnell Nurse mm-hmm. as as a shoe in right that he somehow is going to be that guy right and, and it was interesting and, and and I'm sort of in talking in a broader sense right now that that um, they were talking about that armstrong wants if if a guy hasn't one before, like in the last five years, he's not been under he said we're, we're kind of Riley
1: see a spot. We're kind of nurse. We're kind
0: of taking a leap of faith, right? He said, in terms of can they actually do it in the crunch? Yep. And so yeah, Gregor's comment was, Well, if you double back to the world juniors, they asked Darnell nurse to just be a defensive defenseman, just be a shutdown guy. And he excelled at it. And you're like, that's your reason that he gets on? Last time Shabbat was in the World Juniors, he was the MVP mm-hmm. of the tournament. Right. Is that what we're going to use? Because if that's the case, I want that guy. Well, but Don't you think
1: this is happening?
0: In all markets? Yes. yes. Guy,
1: like uh, Morrissey in Winnipeg. Yeah.
0: Who is, the, who is the guy who really, I, I think, you know, when you look at
1: Shay, If Theodore, you want that, if you want a shutdown yeah. PK guy, it is Morrissey.
0: And I, I think when you start to look at at Devon Taves as well yeah. in, in the mix as a, as a left defense guy. Yeah. And if that's what you're looking for, if you, what you already have on the other side and Petrangelo and Makar and, and whatnot, and them, them talking with the idea of shifting guys, mm-hmm. it's just the, the, the size of the media machine that, that is in Toronto, right? Mendez can love the guy, <laughs> friend of the show.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, supporter of Tal hmm um, yeah, he's just a local, a local guy covering the team, right?
1: I just, we used to, uh, less now that the team's gotten off to the start that it has, or that it has, but we were hearing, you know, speculation about possibly Nick Suzuki out of Montreal, right? And I, I think all these markets oh, have, yeah, have had the, why their guy is what So I have no doubt and I have, if I'm being honest with you, even watching the Leaf games, I'm watching fewer and fewer of the intermissions and stuff like that. They're just yeah. not very good.
0: Well, that's why I PVR everything.
1: All right. So there's no doubt that there is a sizable media presence that would be subtly, but not so subtle. Like trying to give themselves plausible yeah. deniability, but saying, you know, Morgan Riley, yeah, probably. Yep. But I think if nothing else, there's always some politics that goes into picking these teams. And I do think... Like, like Stamkos, let's say Stamkos wasn't sitting, what is he, fourth in the league right now in points? Like no, he's, was ta- he, he,
0: was, he cracked the top five after that four-point night in Toronto.
1: Right. So he, thank you for that little tack on to the end. Uh, he's killing it this year, and he does likely deserve it on merit. I felt coming into this season, based on how he had played, that he really was going to be on the bubble, <laughs> like to make the team. Some clown said on this show that he wasn't even on the... He right, that was me.
0: I yeah, I'm talking about. I, I, I said Stamkos isn't even right making this roster.
1: But I, the more I thought about it, even back then, like because he broke his leg the once and he yeah. didn't get the other. There's always some politics, and I felt like as long as he was even like the more I thought about it, even if he didn't like if you could look at other guys and go more points, better this or that, he was probably going to get to go because. We just do that, right? Like we, this is what Canada does. Now it turns out he is going to earn it. But let's say, because right now also in top five in terms of Canadian forwards and points is John Tavares. If he makes the team and Mitch Marner makes the team, are they going to take Morgan Riley as well? If he's sort of a, you know, tied with Shabbat or Nurse or... Yeah, yeah, or Morrissey or any of those guys, yeah. I think at some point they look to spread it out a little bit, right, and... I well, think politically... I would he, hope not. I no, would sure, hope, pick I, your best fucking I want team, the best it. team, and, yeah. and I don't really care who it is. I don't believe, to be honest with you, that it's Morgan Riley. I've said that all along, but it depends what the role is. Like, they're going to have enough offense off the blue line, yeah, neither and one of those he's not a PK run, guy. Yeah, he's neither not. one of
0: those guys are running the power play.
1: No, no. So right. that's going to be Makar, uh, f- most likely on the first unit, and then, you know, whatever you want to do with the second one, maybe Petrangelo, or... Mm-hmm. I, I just... I don't know, when I look at it, I, I don't really still, to this point, it gets, it gets tribal fast. Fuck Thomas Shabbat, Morgan Riley should go. Yep. Yeah. No, no. If we're having that discussion, you and I aren't, but that's the conversation For playing sure it out online. I don't really think either one of them are to your guy.
0: And that's what we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, to me, Shabbat's game is night and day this year over last year.
1: Yeah. I remember saying last year, I felt both of them had played themselves out of the conversation. Yep. yep. Even. yep. But but he's been better this year. But
0: I am still, and again, I think if you're playing seven minutes less a night, Mm. get down into the 23, 22 minute range, (laughs) you are able to do so much more than, than conserve yourself for a half a game, right. And, and forcing stuff and making mistakes. And so he's been much better this year, but I'm still not completely sold on the fact that at this point, Shabbat can be... What you need in that spot. Competent enough in the defensive zone. Right. I, have, I have zero issue with him in terms of how he transports the puck, right. how he works in the offensive zone, uh, the the magic that is in, in the transition with him. I, you, I have questions below the circles in his own zone.
1: Do you think, just quickly, do you believe DJ, DJ Smith? It was an impressive Saturday afternoon win for the Sens, 4 nothing over Tampa, that you know, yeah. That was, and, and uh, do you believe he was trying to show him that like the, it was noticeable. I do the because minutes it being, was
0: so noticeable, yeah. the difference, right? At one point, like Nick Holden was five minutes ahead of <laughs> Shabbat in ice time. Like to me, you can't tell me that that, and because you're right, there has been a pile of talk in the local market, especially in the last week mm-hmm. at, at, and as a team has now won for the last five, right? That, that. Shabbat and the push in the local market for sure. And mm-hmm. so I don't think it's, it's beyond DJ at this point to, to do that. And if you look at it and you said to me, uh, the, the lightning were coming in here and they had never swept this stretch of.
1: That was a five game.
0: Right. That yeah. they were looking and Ottawa was the last piece and you're like, okay, man, <laughs> we've got the easiest part at the end, but you watch that game. Ottawa looked really good. Yep. But Tampa looked like as soon as, as soon as it got to be like two zip and it was, I think what, I think noodles said on the broadcast, Jamie McLennan said, they looked like they maybe have like one foot on the airplane already. Right. right?
1: Well, like, someone was commenting, uh, like, were they enjoying then like in quotes, the Ottawa nightlife. And someone was like, did you see the weather on Friday night? Nobody was leaving the fucking hotel, but it it just sort of looked like. Yep. One of those games where they've been in Montreal for three days and maybe had a couple of, it's not really yep. an Ottawa thing. As well. Yeah.
0: Ottawa looked great and yes, Tampa looked not
1: good. Yep. Uh, and uh, so. Shut out for Anton Forsberg.
0: Yeah. First ever. And, and hey, we talked about Brady Kachuk before and, and whatnot, and he's now over a point a game
1: guy in his. On pace for 37 goals, I think. Yeah. I just. Not sure that part holds, but certainly ahead of where I would have. Projected well, him. To yeah, be. and
0: if and if he ends up with projected out as a 70 point guy, and you're like, man, I'm and if you look at he blew up Jan Ruda and you're like, if you can bring me all that and that, yep. yeah, it's nice. It's looking good. But anyways, it is it is when you come down to the defenseman. I, I want somebody who's gonna be bring us some of the, you know, the Makar is uh he's a lock. Yeah right? So how many other of those guys do we need beyond that? Right. Right. And so if Shabbat's not going to be, or, or Riley, if they're not going to be in your top four.
1: Yeah. Not bottom pair guys. We don't need them. Uh, are any of them going? Yeah. uh, And 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 you, you have always been fairly steady. I don't know if this is happening since the agreement was signed in the summer, right? I have been inching my way closer and closer up until this week where I took a giant step towards Oof, I don't think so, right? The, the the piece that came out on Saturday that Chris Johnston reported was that uh, it, it, everything I had heard was if you tested positive there, it was a three-week quarantine. Turns out it could be up to five weeks depending right. on how this all plays out. And it seems unlikely that we're going to get there and just one guy will test positive. You could be looking at a spread, whether it's through a game or through a whole team. Like just using the Leafs, for example, could you see Morgan Riley and John Tavares out of your line or Mitch Marner and and John Tavares out of your lineup for three to five weeks, the owners, are they going to, it's always been the owners that have been hesitant, but now I think the players are starting to go, wait, 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 I'm going to be stuck in a fucking hotel room in Beijing for four weeks, Well, not skating either. Like even when they get back to Canada, you got to give them a couple of days too, right? Like it's a huge.
0: Well, and and it's, it's not only are you not available to your. NHL franchise. So Connor McDavid. Yeah. And, and he's. he's saying, and hey, nurse potentially. Yeah. You go whatever. five weeks, you may not have these two players mm-hmm. available to you. And then those two guys also saying, so I can't play for those five weeks. What's the return going to be like for that? Yeah. And I forfeit my. Pay.
1: Pay potentially for that. Yep. And you go... Because the NHL has been steady all along. We don't want to do this. We don't want you to go. We don't want to take the break. The players have pushed for it, and the league has said, okay, but all the risk is on you. If right. you come back and you can't play, yeah. you're not getting paid. And it's interesting to me... And no one's sending their fourth liner, eh? Like, right. If you miss guy, it's your top guy. <laughs> yeah. it, it's when you look at
0: at Bettman last Friday saying, well, this is really on on the players to decide. And you're like... If there was never a veiled yeah. comment that yeah. you didn't fully understand, you're like, for the TPC to be giving up all that and saying, Wow, we promised the players, we said in good faith we'd let them do this. But then G- Bettman knew at that point what the what the what the protocols were gonna be, what the playbook was gonna look like. So he threw that out there, and people like the media were picking it up like, Well, what do you think of that player A? Right. And they're like, well, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know all the details. Yeah, because the details are still to come. And it's like, wham, wham,
1: wham. Yeah, well, because in the summer when this agreement was signed, everyone was getting vaccinated. Numbers were coming down, as they do in the summer. Like, everything was looking good. And then in the winter, even before this Omicron, it's starting to ramp back up. People are back inside. Kids are back in school. We've got sports venues all open. Uh, Concerts are running, all this stuff. Numbers are coming back up, coming back up. And then you add on the China factor and how stringent they're going to be on this. Yeah. I, I, I don't think they envision, I don't think any of us, frankly, envision that we would be ramping back up in numbers the way we are right now, back in the summer when the vaccines were rolling out and things were looking good.
0: Yep. But yeah, I think it's, it's now it's become onerous enough and punitive enough on the players yeah, that Bettman can lob that
1: right into your court and say, what do you think, guys? Is this of interest to you? What's the story with the number of media members I keep reading and hearing? It was even on Hockey Night in Canada last night going, man, they really should have just planned to play the hockey tournament part of the Olympics here in North America. You go, when was that ever on yeah. the fucking table? Yeah, when I, have they
0: ever done But they keep bringing it up. I heard Friedman last night on his yes. thoughts, right? And he's saying...
1: Really oh, just
0: really should. And, and you like, that's not the Olympics. That's, that's not like
1: that. the World Cup. And like, maybe they should have just done that. Like maybe they just, no, nah, we'll take the break during the Olympics. We'll have it in the Eastern time zone. Um, and maybe that's still a way around it. Like the problem and, and Bettman said, uh, in his Friday press conference, like someone asked him, if you don't go, would you try and rejig the schedule, um, to fill in those three weeks or what are you going to do? And he kind of went, we asked the teams, we couldn't force them, but we asked the teams to keep some of those dates open uh. so that maybe we could, if we had to, and he goes, almost nobody did. Like <laughs> yeah. they, all those buildings have lost piles of business sure. and if they could fill it with concerts or other events, they did. And the so. The circus
0: is coming to town. Right.
1: Whatever it might be, ice capades and, and shit like that. Um, so yeah, it doesn't sound like if they don't go to the Olympics that they'll be able to just wipe out this three week break either. So. I don't know what that all looks like, but at this point, put a percentage on it. You were 50, 50 in the summer when everyone else was pretty optimistic. Where are you at now?
0: I'm at a 25, 75. Yeah. I think there's, there's a a greater chance they don't go. I'm
1: with you there. I think I'm with you. I think I'm down in that same neighborhood that this looks pretty unlikely right now.
0: Well, and, and first of all, my first thought in the summertime was, yeah, Bettman doesn't want it. No. And. Pretty often, whatever the Betman doesn't want doesn't happen. Right. And so now you are, are looking at the players now having to weigh all those other options. And so the players are going to have to temper because it's not just, now you're asking Connor McDavid, Mm -hmm. we'll use as an example to say, yeah, this is what I really want, but what is it going to do now to the other, I don't know. Seventeen other players on my roster. It's yeah, I may
1: also hose my team.
0: It's not just me that this impacts, right? right? If it's, so my team doesn't have my service if something goes awry. So it just seems like it's a greater possibility. And, and the pay thing is is when the IHF says we have a five million dollars slush fund to, <laughs> to cover, and you are like, yeah, that's, that's McDavid, like four alone. guys.
1: Yeah, so yeah, no, I am with you there. And it's funny, even on a patriotic kind of, am I willing to risk? to watch a great Olympic tournament that I might miss Mitch Marner for a bit. Maybe I don't want Austin Matthews to go and play against me. I'm not willing to risk that. Like, you got to stay home, buddy. Like yeah. you got, it's just, you're not on my team. Then no, I'm, you can't risk it. You, you better stay. So I, I don't know, man, I, I'm with you. I think I'm down at that same kind of neighborhood that it, it's far more likely at this point that this falls. I do think like Friedman said on 30, they'll wait to the last possible second to make this decision and, and see where the numbers are at. I also think they'll negotiate with the Chinese and with the organizing committee to see, can NHL players be treated special? Like if we sent our own plane to charter the positive tests back to North America and get them out earlier, I think that will happen. I don't know that it will happen like it'll get done. I believe they'll have that negotiation, uh, which again, will look like shit, but we're kind of through the looking glass on that.
0: Right. Double tests up front, chartering over
1: yeah, can we get our guys out even yeah. if the bobsleigh guys have to stay behind. And,
0: and so, yeah, to me, I think that's, yeah, sorry, Jerry, who works <laughs> in marketing for the federal <laughs> government and is a bobsledder in his, right. in his spare time, you're, you're gone for a month and a half, but hey, sorry about that.
1: I guess last thing on the Olympics before we move off, it is just a quick note, I, whether it turns into anything or not, it still seems a long way down the road, but. Uh, News out of BC last week that uh, Vancouver and Whistler have been invited, not invited We'll see where that goes. Uh, Invited by four First Nations tribes to participate in a Winter Olympics bid for 2030. And uh, those of you with any sort of memory will recall that we just hosted those in 2010. So 20 years would be a pretty quick turnaround for one city, uh, but not unheard of in terms of countries hosting it. And the uh, IOC is rapidly running out of
0: countries who are willing to pony
1: up. And then, with climate change, able to host a Winter Olympics uh, unless you're China, who can just create whatever weather you yeah. want over the uh, the city. But Vancouver is going to be late getting into this. As Sapporo, uh, Japan, also appears to be kind of the lead runner as maybe one of the only rants right now for 2030. Any interest at did all? You, in, did you see
0: Barcelona in there?
1: Uh, I. Thought they were bidding for maybe twenty thirty two or something. Okay, like but it. okay, because they've determined twenty third. No, twenty thirty two is Brisbane.
0: Yep, 20, already awarded.
1: Twenty six is uh, Cortina, um, Milan and Cortina in uh, Italy. Yeah, and then twenty. So maybe it is in the I, running.
0: I thought of, for a winter. I thought Barcelona.
1: That's, that's super
0: odd. odd. Yeah. Any um, interest? Well, I was confused by the indigenous lead bid. Did mm-hmm. you find that weird? I did. And I read two different articles on it and I'm not sure what the lead portion is. Cause the idea is the four first nations tribes of, of the Southern BC area, that sort of see the sky area, mm-hmm. the, I'm going to take a crack at this, Matt. All right. The Lil'wat, the Squamish. Lil'wat. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Young MC. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Lil'wat, Squamish, Musqueam. And this is the last one. The last one that gives me the Salil Watah. Anyways, Not that's right. what we're going with. These four indigenous nations have, have invited Whistler Resort Municipality and the Municipality of Vancouver. To pay for. To, well, guy, <laughs> and again, I didn't know. I was super. I know. T- as I kept reading, I'm like, "Well, where's the lead portion of this? I I don't understand." And so uh, it, it, they kept talking about transformative and
1: part of the truth and reconciliation. Yeah, and, and, and
0: and call to action number ninety one, which is which is a call for all levels of municipal governments to to help. Well, to to help First Nations become more involved. Right. In sport, and 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 governance of it, and, and these sorts of things, and so I get how it fits under that, but and short of it being on their land, I just was really, I, my impression was the same as what you had, Matt. That yes. using
1: that's not what we're supposed to say though. I okay, but I <laughs> I, I again, I, I think it, the idea is supposed to be. We're partners this time instead of you just going the hell and doing it and then saying, by the way, thanks to so-and-so for letting us do it on their and land. And sort of consulting. Right. This time they would be part of the bid. But, yeah, the fact that they're leading the bid was interesting to me as well because it opens up a bunch of funding questions and whatever. So they've gotten permission from the provincial and federal governments to explore the bid. That's all this is now. They're right. not preparing a bid, right. looking to see if it's feasible. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. The last time, you know, oh, yeah, for sure, it was man. awesome. I, the Olympics kind of continues to get more and more gross. The IOC gets more and more gross. Yep. I, I don't know if I. We talked uh, a couple of years ago now about the idea that maybe one of the ways around the enormous costs of this is when you bid for an Olympics, you get two. So Vancouver would have hosted 2010 and 2014. That way, you've got a little more a. Times to use all these facilities you're yep. building, but be a second opportunity to make back or, some of the money that you've to spread it out over 20 years. They are saying that a lot of the facilities could be reused, but not all of like a lot of the right. residences and stuff been turned into uh, housing uh, yes, or, ex- or all, all these sorts of things. Yeah. Right. So I don't. And by 2030, does even Whistler have any snow left for skiing? I don't know. With
0: right. the pace,
1: well, and <laughs> like, if you look at the speed skating, barely had it the last time.
0: The, the speed skating, which I believe was in Richmond, yeah. I think they tore it down. I think it was a, (laughs) it was a temporary facility they put up for that. God bless the Olympics. Yeah. But it, to me, if you go, and I like your idea, if you go to Olympics, but we're going to grant Vancouver 2010, 2022. Sure. And let
1: somebody else do 14 and 26, right? You just sort of. The problem then though is keeping all those facilities for 12 years sitting up, even four years is going to be hard, right? Like the residences and stuff even I mean, for the Olympic villages
0: yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, I think you have to go and you know, again, finding room for those places yeah. right is always the sort of and, and I get that that is a logistic that
1: it's going to be hard enough in four years, yeah, let alone twelve.
0: right because to, to, you look at the the model more and more is that yeah the the residences either go to a university or they become housing for something else, right, right. We've seen that in all the the games I attended yeah um, but yeah, I, I was really confused. And I want to, I want more information on, on how this is indigenous led. That's what I want to know.
1: I guess, uh, it's no more than two years ago now that, uh, the city of Calgary was exploring a bid for, I believe it was 26 and, um, had a referendum and the city pretty decisively voted no thank you yep. to the uh, Olympics. Does this, uh, do you think Vancouver, they had the fun of it last time. They also would have had whatever the traffic issues and the, everything that goes with it. Mm-hmm. If it came down to just New that again, built. yeah, and that would be uh, that would cheapen things a little. You don't have to build it again. You wouldn't right. think if this came down to just being that simple. The people of Vancouver vote on it. They want to do it again. You think? Well, and and it is.
0: You're talking about a much quicker turnaround from nine from eighty eight to twenty twenty six. When you're talking about yeah, there's still some facilities in Calgary that are left over, but they would need some huge retrofitting. Yes.
1: Um, it's almost 40 years.
0: Yeah. It's something tells me technology has changed in all those sports. Since Not then. for you,
1: but for a lot of us. Yeah.
0: But it's interesting to note that, um, yeah, well, I, w- I was still grappling with setting my time on my VCR in those days too. So, <laughs> so
1: um, Still flashing 12, God yeah, it. <laughs> VHS.
0: Um, but the idea that... And I think it was interesting that uh, Kennedy Stewart, I believe, is the mayor of Vancouver, who said, oh, "We would never do this. We would never do this without uh, Indigenous buy-in."
1: Right. We would never do this again. That should have said.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and that's what, he, and that's, the, and he's saying that's we'd never do it again because that's he wasn't involved back then. Yeah. And so I, I, I think to me this is, this is a bit of the shoehorn in, right? Is well, see, the First Nations are on are on board with this. They're they're super keen. And, and they did talk about it meaning jobs and, yep. and all that stuff in, in First Nations communities. It was the
1: pride they would have of actually having their names on it this time. And I just, to me, this feels like this doesn't go anywhere, I don't think. I think they'll do the exploratory whatever and not end up placing a bid.
0: Okay. Well, there's still no more to learn there, but my feeling was uh, very much the same as yours. I oh, want more information.
1: I, that's not how I feel. Okay. <laughs> I just feel it goes nowhere. I don't care if there's more information or not. Um, we've gotten more information over the last week or so about the uh, always smooth running Arizona Coyotes and, um, it was reported by Katie Strang. And, uh, as she's always the one who breaks the stories that the NHL just loves to have go public. Yeah. That, uh, the Arizona Coyotes were like 1. 1.4, 1. 1.6, something like that, million dollars in debt to the uh, city of, uh, Glendale in back taxes and unpaid this and that, <laughs> and that, uh, come 13 days or whatever it was going to be, they would be locked out of the arena. The team would not be allowed to play there because it's a city owned and, you know, city built arena. Uh, the staff, they also have offices there, right? That all would have been closed to them. And, uh, it got a little bit embarrassing and apparently the, uh, the next day, the Coyotes went and paid all these things. So human error. Thanks Gary. A, yeah. was just an, just overlooked, uh, oops. Sorry about that yeah. kind of thing. Um, city manager for uh, Glendale was interviewed and said, seems unlikely to me it was human error. They've been contacted several times. Yeah. There always seems to be an issue. And one of the things at the uh, Board of Governors meetings late this past week, Gary Bettman was asked about it on Thursday and he said, there is no problem in Arizona, but we'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> um, I guess talk about nothing. Uh, but yeah. on Friday at the press conference, he was asked about it again. Uh, A bunch of times, and he kept saying things like, let's not make a story where there isn't one. And uh, my favorite comment was, the city of Glendale seems to have some sort of edge or agenda when it comes to dealing with the coyotes, taking a bit of shot at them. And I sort of feel like if I was owned or owed $1.4 million, I would have an agenda too. Can I get paid that money you legally owe me would be my agenda. I don't think they were out of line to say, hey, you problem tenant who has been a problem forever, pay me bitch, right? Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And What and a the,
1: joke this franchise is.
0: Well, and, and, and here in Ottawa, we'd like to thank them.
1: Yes. Take the heat off a little
0: bit. Yeah. Them and the Montreal Canadians, <laughs> really uh, lower in the heat here. Right. Uh, or at least the, the attention. <laughs> um. But yeah, like this to me is, and there's way too much smoke, right? In terms of the talk about Houston or Kansas City or whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of.
1: This meeting with Quebec city politicians. Yeah, it ain't happening. I know.
0: Anyways, yeah, but I agree with you, right? That that this isn't a, that they're looking to bigger American markets, right? And you look at that Houston market, a top six television market in the United States. Sorry, Quebec, you don't really count. (coughs) And, uh, and none of us do. For if it was anything. Ottawa looking for a franchise, you're like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Right. Um, but this is, it's just, we talked about it in the summertime when they're like, yeah, one more year on the lease. And you're like, how do you get to that position where you're one year left? And Homeless. You're, now you're halfway through that year and they're not even halfway through and they're like, hey, we're going to freeze you out. Yeah. You're, you may exact, not you're ev- evicted. Yeah. And so... You know, this is the equivalent of you and your kids are living in the, in the station wagon now. Cause like, I, I don't know what you're doing there. And so to me, there's Neither just no. And there's way too much, too much smoke for there to be, for you to continue to do like, we're all idiots.
1: Yeah. And he's just so condescending about it. All. And it's every three or four months, there's something out of this joke of an organization that you just, at some point you got to give up on this thing. Like you gotta, maybe, maybe if you put the, the, the new arena in Tempe and like this owner by all accounts has money, but he's only willing to spend so much of it on the goddamn Arizona Coyotes. Right. That's, the business can go bankrupt without this guy going bankrupt. Um, and one of the things he's known for is buying up distressed assets, turning it around and flipping them. Well, you have found yourself a mighty distressed asset yeah. here and it may not be flippable. But maybe if you got closer to downtown, the Phoenix Suns want no part of sharing an arena with uh, right. this gong show. So you're not going right downtown in Phoenix, but maybe in Tempe, if you built a hockey slash concert arena, it's, I guess, closer to downtown. It's sort of similar to- and the universities. Right. It's not dissimilar to here in Ottawa where the arena is legitimately, it's too far. Like it's hard to hold against fans. You're like, it's traffic and it's what, there's, it, there's problems if you could get closer to downtown, maybe you would do better. But just in general, this organization has had legal yeah. problems and financial problems and fan base problems and just, it's never worked. And yet this commissioner continuously gets up in front of you and goes, oh, there's no problem there.
0: Yeah. What the fuck? We're not stupid, yeah, we're not man. are not stupid. See, the thing is, if you look at the Florida Panthers as, as an equivalent, the, France, the hockey franchise, while kind of riding high rate at this moment, They are sort of the sad sack tenants in the thing. Yeah. That, that, that ownership owns the arena. They're pumping a pile of concerts and other things Mm -hmm. through there. They're okay with a little bit of a loss on the books from the Panthers. Right. You can have that because you are so successful. The building is so busy Mm -hmm. every other night of the year. But if you're in a place where your team is, is not drawing anybody and you're out of the way and you're not getting those prime,
1: Concerts. And it's never good. Like you have no chance of drawing fans because your team's always terrible. Right.
0: And so you say, I need to have a, a venue somewhere where I can do those other things. Yeah. And, and I have then, to own it myself. Right. And so you have to sort of, to me, that is, it's, it's a no brainer that this is, something's going to give there.
1: Well, like I said, the city manager was interviewed <laughs> and asked, uh, you know, that someone presented the idea and the theory that, you know, the Coyotes have been playing, hardball as have the city and that it'll be fine next year, but they're just both looking to get a better deal on a slightly extended lease till they find a new place to play. And the city manager said, no, we've made plans to renovate the building. It's not going to be a hockey arena anymore. We are moving forward without the Coyotes. We think that will be better for the taxpayers of Glendale who own this building. So I don't think the city of Glendale is playing hardball. I think they are done with this gong show.
0: Yep. And so to me, yeah, there's got to be a morning after an exit point. <laughs>
1: uh, you want to touch on Jacob Truba because a bit of what we saw out of him this week was a couple of hits that used to be a big part of this game, right? One on Jujukara that sent him to hospital. Um, and I forget who the, uh, the other Guinness. one was on. Yes. Um, I, I we seem to have this conversation all the time about the change in game and the place for physicality. And um, I wonder if you think this ties together at all with the Trevor Zegers, Sonny Milano, Michigan goal in Anaheim and just the way the game is changing. Um, I don't know if you saw that or not. For
0: sure I did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: John Tortorella saying, if you'd have done that 20 years ago, someone would have taken your head off. Yeah. Well, it's not 20 years ago, man. Like I, all of these things are sort of changing that, Trevor Zegers would have got destroyed behind the net by the type of hit that Truba laid and sent guys to hospital. I don't believe. I don't think you do either. That Jacob Truba is a dirty player, but you end up in a couple situations in one week. People start talking about where these hits belong in the game now.
0: Yeah. See, both those were clean hits. Okay. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and really, I'm to, letting you
1: carry the ball. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and and really. Both were, both were good, solid hits, clean, not penalties, but the, the real question here comes down to, does the NHL want to continue to see these happen? Right. And, and that is the question. I I love a good body check and, and I, I, I sort of shiver at the thought of, of removing those hits, you know, because they didn't target the head. Right. And. But yet that doesn't keep them from having concussion. Devastating yeah, consequences. On the head. Yep. Right. And so I get it and they have the, they have already the replacement rule with what the IHF does. Right. If you wanted to look at, at replacement. Well,
1: the IHF's rule. Is it doesn't matter whether you targeted the head or whether the head was the principal point of contact or not. If you hit the head, it's a penalty. Right. No or, questions asked.
0: Or if, exactly. Or if or if the head, if there's the, the sort of the whiplash, if there's any of that, that is all encompassed in that rule.
1: Right. Whereas the NHL stops at if first point, if principal point of contact is the head, that's a penalty. But if you hit his shoulder and drive your shoulder then up through his head, it's okay.
0: Yeah. And so if you look at the evolution and we've already started down this path, right? When you look at uh, Scott Stevens' highlight reels, <laughs> you look at uh, Chris Neal here in Ottawa, his top 10 hits,
1: mm.
0: about 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 would be suspendable right now. Right. Right. Not penalized. This is a guy who played, had, had over 3,000 penalty minutes, never suspended. Right. And so, but if you look at the way he played and was, what was acceptable, pucks gone, bang. Right. Right. Those are gonzo. So we've already started to tweak and modify Mm -hmm. those rules. And so at the end of the day, I think the game has become, Zegras aside, and the, this, this sort of more based on, you know, amazing skill and and whatnot away from the violence. And you say, yeah, okay, sorry, that is a clean hit. And it is a clean hit. But at the end of the day, Jujar Kara in the hospital. And is that what you want to see? And I get it. People say it's not tiddlywinks. It's not ballet. I get it. But at the end of the day, that's not, that's not really what I want to see in terms of
1: somebody's. Yeah. I think it puts us in a tough spot. Like, obviously the head hits, they have to go. They have to go. There's no, and the NFL's done it. The quarterbacks are being protected. Like, it's not perfect, but they've right. chosen to make their star players more protected. Hockey has not done that yet. And that's a whole other thing on penalties and all these sorts of things. I don't have a problem with a clean hit, but it does mean we have to accept that occasionally that means someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. It's a hit. So I get it if people go, I'm not okay with that. Like I'm not okay with taking that risk. Well, then we have to reevaluate the game and the physicality rules and where it does sort of tie into, and for people who didn't see it, the the Michigan goal is where you're behind the net and you scoop the puck kind of onto your blade, like you're carrying it like a lacrosse play, quickly swivel around the net and toss it in kind of over the goalie. What he does in this case is he flips it up on his stick like he's going to do that but flips it over the net instead of coming out around it and Sonny Milano in front before it hits the ice, bats it in before anyone understands what's happened. Now you could try that even unchallenged a hundred times and it's going to be extremely difficult to make contact coming down and, and make that happen. Right. But it was incredible. But for John Tortorella to then go on ESPN, who's supposed to be helping us grow this exciting, skilled game and have him go, I just don't know if it's good for the game and I would take those guys aside if I was coaching them and talk to them about it. And yeah. I don't really have a problem with the fact that while Zegers is trying to scoop that up, someone gets in behind the net and blows him up with a clean hit. Yep. like to me, those are within the rules. That so, okay. if you can pull that move off, I'm fine with it. If you get blown up trying to pull it off, I'm fine with that too. Right? Like, I, yep. I think there's room for both of these things. I just I don't understand why we're I know there's sort of two different conversations, but like, I think we can embrace the, the skill coming in and cause all these things keep happening, right? Like when you see that every 10 year old at hockey practice, the next day is trying that, yeah. right? And so that's where a bunch of these moves have oh. come from over the years. And, and we'll keep seeing it like that, that as you pull more of these moves off, kids keep trying it and they're more ballsy when they get to the NHL. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the fact that someone hits you for that. I do have a problem with cross check to the teeth or a, don't do it because you might get oh. hit or whatever. If you don't want to be embarrassed, play better ten, year, better. ten
0: years ago, I'm coaching, you know, anywhere from eight-year-olds to 14-year-olds and you have hockey and you have them on the ice when, when, when drills aren't being run, you see them They're trying, to, trying to scoop the puck up, trying to pick it up on their, off the ice, you, working on all kinds of things that they've
1: seen mm-hmm. on Saturday night. There's right? whole YouTube channels with millions of followers. That are just trick shots and guys trying to just that become huge and then, yeah, yeah. When you get to the NHL, somebody's gonna. <laughs> and, and it's funny because Torrance is a
0: guy who's who's involved with the new broadcast in in the states. Yeah, uh, I watched a bit of uh, Friday night. I watched a bit of the ESPN coverage of the of the Caps Penguins game. Right, Ray Ferraro doing color, friend of the show. Solid, solid work. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what what ESPN is bringing to it now, they had the ability to go online and and check out Crosby ISO cams. right. Ovechkin ISO cams. Like these sorts of things where you go, doesn't matter. They're on the bench, whatever's happening, but it also gets on the ice. That is. Well, we've had those
1: before. They just never took off. I
0: I, I know, but it's more and more with this, you know, 5G, all these other things where you want? Oh,
1: spin around, see it from a different angle. Yeah. It doesn't super interest me, me. either, but it does to some people, But obviously. some people
0: are super focused on that. And and the more that you can give to fans, the better. And so to me, it comes down to the skill is never going to go. And so Tortorella and that take is is old, right? And I can't remember who the guy in Toronto was and what he did, but the, the clip of the quote of Pat Quinn when he came back to the pinch, Pat Quinn Kyle like,
1: Wellwood. It was a shootout move.
0: No, yeah. No more of that. Yeah. Shenanigans or right. whatever, whatever it was he said to him. And he's like, Yeah, you're like that that's yeah, so fucking dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, this is it, man. And and you the, That's how I got here. Well, this is it. I I want to try and do different things. And you're like, ah, oh, that's yeah, that it's so old. Yeah. It's so old school. And and torts. I think I got time for torrents on a bunch of levels, Mm -hmm. but you got to adapt. Yeah. You got to adapt or there's no place for you. And so whether it's the Zegers play or whether it's the, the hits, uh, I still love a good I think there's room
1: for both. I do.
0: For sure. And I talked about Kachuk, you know, crumpling Jan Rudin. Now, again. I thought, I thought Ruda was going to be out, right? He's laying on the ice and you're like, okay, nobody really wants to see no, that. No, you still hate it. Okay. But then the guy gets up and he goes and sits on the bench and he's out killing a penalty on the neck, like 30 seconds later. And you're like, well, what are you doing down there? <laughs> like, what are you lying around on the ground for trying two to draw try a goddamn penalty? <laughs> yeah, and nobody, nobody wants that either. Right. right. Cause you, you don't want to see, you know, anybody hurt. No. Like in, like in the, uh, in the Rangers Blackhawks game. But you also don't want to see guys try to soccer it up. No. Nope. I don't want to see any phantom stuff. I don't, that's the fine line, right? When you start to take away the legit hits like Trouba and McKinnon and McKinnon, yeah, man, he's looking down at the puck. He looks up, bang. Yep. And Trouba's a big dude. For sure he is. And so McKinnon's a big dude. There's a lot of guys who try and throw that hit and they don't, it doesn't have the same of, but the reality is you can't get to a spot where you take the awareness of the player out. And I know I'm sort of fudging on both sides of the line here, but you have to, part of the beauty and part of, I think what everyone loves about hockey is, is the skill at the pace that is played at, but with the idea that I can't just, I can't right. just have free access to right. the net.
1: If uh, Zegers gets crushed trying to do that, that's part of the game. Yeah. But if you can pull it off without getting crushed, power to you, man.
0: Well, what was it, last year or two years ago where Svechnikov had had two of the lacrosse style goals yep. in like a, a week apart yep. or something, right? And and people are like, yeah, why isn't somebody crushing that guy? And you're like,
1: well Because if you chase him, he's coming out the other side. This and it's is, this like is it's, it. it's a hard game,
0: man. Like, well it's, and and it's and it's happening. Like we're watching it and we're watching the replays. That's happening. Yep. Like that. And yep. so if I'm not already engaged on Svechnikov or Zigris, mm-hmm. well it's not happening. Right. So to me, yeah, those are gonna happen and you know it's more along the other line, You you take away the Milano option.
1: Yeah, make sure he doesn't have the ability to stand there to uncovered butt that in and or, bunt yeah, it, yeah,
0: exactly. And so, to me, I want to see the clean Crazy Truba cool, hit though. for sure. For sure, it is. For sure, it is. And it's funny on the Ottawa broadcast against Tampa Bay. They asked in the intermission, you know, which is the greater play of the year? Is it the Zegers play or is it the McDavid play?
1: The one on four, yeah.
0: And so. Uh, it was somebody, and I, I actually know who it was, I just don't want to give him credit, <laughs> said, no, it's the Zegers play all day because that's, that's not likely to happen again. He said, whereas Connor McDavid is certainly will, <laughs> He will do. He will go <laughs> one <laughs> on four again. And, and it will work again. <laughs> and it will happen. So he said the idea of throwing it over the net and, and hitting it in, like the, you're much less likely to see that happen. And I agree with that actually. Yes. So in that case, that is, that is the bigger of the two.
1: I think that's it for this part of the show, man. You sure? I could grab another beer and we could keep going. Nah, Nah. forget it. It's almost time for a Grey Cup pregame. It's almost time for another pee. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) With that in mind, we will, uh, we'll, we'll send Rob along his way. Uh, we're going to go watch the Grey Cup and, uh, we will pass this along to future Matt. Take it away, future Matt. All right. Thank you, past Matt. I'll, uh, I'll take it from here, uh, Good guy, handsome fellow, uh, brilliant broadcaster like him a lot. I uh, think highly of that guy. Uh, Grey Cup 108 in the books. Your Winnipeg Blue Bombers defend their championship, win back-to-back titles. Of course, we didn't have a 2020 game, but uh, they did win the 2019 Grey Cup as well as now the uh, 2021 Grey Cup. Really interesting game. Um, you know, and a lot of fun. Uh, we're not going to go in-depth on the whole thing, but just a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first one, honestly, that jumped out to me Uh, Rod Smith on the broadcast doing play-by-play, really enjoyed it. I've always, like, I thought he's sort of grown into it a bit over the last couple of years. Um, He seemed a little uncomfortable maybe at first, and and maybe you would be, right, if it's something you haven't done a whole lot of before. Uh, In this game, thought he called a great game, but one of the things that stood out for me, most of you guys who've listened for a long time know that um, I love Chris Cuthbert as a play-by-play guy. And the overwhelming majority of Grey Cups that I've ever watched, he's the one who's called the games, whether it be on CBC or on TSN. Of course, he's now moved on to Sportsnet, so uh, not available to do this game. And so that was noticeable for me, and it was a little jarring at times. And like I said, Rod Smith called a nice game. Uh, It's certainly not a complaint about his work at all, but it stood out to me that uh, the Grey Cup, for me, is is called by Chris Cuthbert. So uh, missed him on the broadcast. Uh, But as far as the game goes... Man, really interesting, and I wouldn't have said that at halftime, I believe it was 10-7 at the time, and it was looking like a bit of a dog maybe, right, and uh, it's not like the weather was a problem, like we all thought it could be in December, we kind of lucked out, I think it was like 4 degrees or something at kickoff, Uh, not a lot of snow or anything going on. It just wasn't clicking, and it seemed like a bit of a microcosm of the season that we just saw. When we had our uh, our preview show back on episode 911 with AJ Jakubek, he sort of illustrated that, you know, league-wide, the offenses had struggled. And whether that was time off for the guys after not playing last year, whether that was so many new guys in new positions, other guys retiring, everything that was going on, offense was down. And it sort of looked like that might be the case in this game. It was a bit dull. And then in the third quarter, it the Tiger Cats took over, and they were getting some help in doing it. Uh, there was one play very early in the third quarter where Zach Caleros makes a terrible read, a terrible decision, and a terrible throw. And when you pair all those things together, it's probably going to have a terrible result, and it did. Um, Hamilton ends up getting the ball and, and scoring on the next drive. And then right afterwards, it, it couldn't have been more than two or three minutes later, Caleros throws another like one that he just sort of aired out and it was picked off as well. And at that point, Hamilton's just rolling. The defense is playing incredible. Uh, the blue bomber offense is struggling big time. Caleros doesn't look like he has it together and it looks like the tiger cats are going to get this done and they end up scoring a couple. Um, both of those pickoffs by Hamilton come from Cameron Kelly and there's already time, uh, tons of talk on Twitter, there's your MOP. If Hamilton's going to go on and win this, that guy's going to be MVP or MOP, excuse me. And it made a lot of sense. And then you get to the fourth quarter. Uh, Winnipeg had deferred to the second half as to when they would make their decision. Uh, they wanted the, the the wind going with them in the fourth quarter because it was a factor all game long. And sure enough, they start to chip away. They come down and they kick a field goal. They come back down and uh, they get the touchdown. And they're up by two late, and it gets kicked into the end zone on the kickoff. And Hamilton takes a knee in the end zone, and this is going to be the thing that gets debated forever. You had lots of room to run it out. You're down by two. All you got to do is run it out to, you know, as far as you can get in the was space. And then you march a little bit. You kick a field goal to win the game. When you take a knee and give up the point, now you're down by the field goal and you need that just to tie. And so Hamilton does end up out at the 35, obviously, and they march down and they get right on the Winnipeg doorstep and they take a couple cracks at it to try and win the game with a touchdown. And they end up having to kick the field goal just to tie the game. And if you don't take that knee, that field goal wins you the game. So, that's a that's a decision that's going to be second guessed for a very long time and um you feel bad for Hamilton fans there because you just uh, you wonder does that decision come in from the bench ahead of time? Say this is what we want you to do. Is that his judgment? You friggin' hope not. Um but that's the story of the game. They end up in overtime uh and Winnipeg puts together a nice little drive, comes down and scores, gets the two-point convert. And then uh, Hamilton, you know, they get the ball with a chance to tie. Masoli throws an interception, and it's over just like that. Heartbreaking loss for Hamilton, who, like I said, in the second half, um, in the third quarter especially, and for and for big parts of the fourth quarter, looked like they had this in the bag. Like looked like the dominant team, and to have it come apart the way that it did and in such dramatic fashion, um, yeah, it's it's gonna hurt. One of the things that does happen at the end of the game. They end up giving MOP to Zach Caleros. And it's sort of a default thing to do, I guess, if you're not sure the winning quarterback just ends up as MOP. I did not think earlier on he was putting in an MOP performance. Now, what he does in the fourth quarter to bring them back and then again in overtime to make the plays to get them the championship, those all count too, right? Those are legit. But man, there were moments in that game where he did not look like anywhere close to the most outstanding most outstanding player on the field, but uh, I mean, minor gripe there hardly matters, of course. So The Blue Bombers from pillar to post, really, all year. The best team in the CFL and, uh, you know, deserved the, the championship here. It didn't look like it at certain moments during the game, but uh, at the end of the day, a really good team like that is going to find a way. So that was interesting and it was a fun game and this is one of the things that's being talked about quite a bit right now on Twitter. As I stepped away, the gray cup almost always delivers. There's it's very rare that you see a dog in the gray cup, right? It, 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 this was the fourth overtime. Uh, the first one since 2016, maybe when the red blacks won it, I believe that was 2016. Um, but it just feels like it almost always is going to come down to a big play very late in the game and the CFL delivers, right? And, and that's cool to see. It makes it fun to watch even if you don't have a dog in the in the race or a horse in the race or whatever the goddamn expression is. It's getting late here. Um, I don't care but the Hamilton Tiger Cats or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but I like Canadian football and I like the Grey Cup and you sit down and watch it and that was a thoroughly entertaining football game especially the second half and the overtime. And it just feels like the Grey Cup often delivers that more than certain other championships, right? Which is something that uh, they've got going for it and If you go all the way back to the beginning of today's show, Rob and I debating three downs versus four downs, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to relitigate the whole thing now that Rob's not here to defend his point. But there was nothing wrong with that football game. There was nothing coming out of that that goes, that needed to be four downs, it would have been better. That was a fantastic football game, and the three-down game can still deliver um, in in the moments where the light is shining brightest on your championship Sunday. So... Um, That was a lot of fun, and what I would say, I suppose, is that this, you know, playoffs, almost start to finish in the playoffs, were extremely entertaining. And we don't have to paint around the, the, the warts on the thing. It wasn't a really great regular season, like I said a moment ago. Whether that was because of the time off or all the new faces, I don't know. I don't know, but the regular season wasn't great. There were a lot of not super games, but once the playoffs started and especially those East and West finals, and now this gray cup championship, awesome football, the CFL delivered. And I think they need to tinker a little bit with the business model. I don't think they need to tinker very much with the way the game is being played on the field, whether it be three downs or four downs. So, um, really enjoyed this one. Thought it was, uh, you know a really um you know a really nice way to wrap up the season and for the CFL to kind of hang their hat on what was a difficult season right the players were under a pile of protocols and quarantine rules, most of them Americans right to come up here across the border and play. Uh, they had the shortened season there was some crazy scheduling things going on. the championship ends up getting played in December instead of November. Lots of things going on, but the players all stuck with it. the teams did it the league got the season up and running. And at the end of the day, delivered uh, when they're supposed to deliver, right? In the playoffs, in the, in the championship game. I was laughing there a minute ago. Um, as uh, I guess it was somewhere towards the end of the fourth quarter, maybe right around the start of overtime, Hockey Canada tweets out that they have uh, made their final cuts from their training camp this weekend in Calgary for the world junior team. So they announced Team Canada for the World Juniors during the Grey Cup. Like, Hockey Canada does not give a shit about the CFL. Just throwing it down in the middle of the championship game. I know they're not related. I know it doesn't really matter. But, you know, to do that in the middle of, you know, one of the biggest sporting events in the country, and you know the World Junior team is going to trump that for a lot of people uh, in terms of importance. So it was just kind of funny to see that come out, and all of a sudden everybody's tweeting about that instead of the, the Grey Cup was... um I don't know, it just made me laugh a little bit. I don't think it was malicious, obviously, but just kind of maybe a little tone deaf Or it really, you couldn't have waited 20 minutes to tweet that out after the game. Uh, so we're not going to get into the uh, World Junior discussions today. Uh, that's for another day. I just wanted to mention quickly what had gone down, what I thought about the Grey Cup here. And like I said, fantastic way to finish the season. Do not forget, Wednesday morning, great show for you. We will talk hockey. We will talk World Juniors with TSN's Bob McKenzie, the one-time hockey insider, now hockey outsider, and booze mogul. Those are his titles. He has uh, said those are usable. Those aren't names I've given him. So uh, Bob McKenzie will be on the podcast on Wednesday morning. Wherever you're hearing me right now, whatever app you're listening in, hit subscribe hit follow, hit whatever it is because you're not going to want to miss that episode of Tall Can Audio. Uh, that's it for a great Cup Sunday. You'll all be here on this Monday morning. Hope you have a great week. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. And uh, for Rob, my name is Matt. We will see you all next time, which will be Wednesday morning with TSN's Bob McKenzie. Until then, see you later. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app and find us on social media at Tall Can Audio.